Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a Prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. It's a change of mind. Directed by Roy Rossotti for about half an hour. But that's a, that's, that's a story we're going to get into a little bit later. So this is uh, episode 12, mm-hmm. but production order 9. So we're not that far off. Yeah, really. we're starting to level out now. Written by Roger Parks. I think, yeah, one of his first, wasn't it? And he, went, he became a bit of an ITC staple after this, didn't he? Mm. Parks had originally worked in agriculture. Uh, he'd also been a Daily Express journalist. Mm. And then he moved on to the BBC as a drama story editor. He got involved in The Prisoner through Maurice Fahey, who introduced him to George Markstein. The Manchurian Candidate yes. was, a, was yes. a big influence on him, the, particularly the novel. Uh, so he had that going on in his head. His brother, Colin was a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and he always used him for technical <laughs> elements. You know, imagine him ringing up and going, Colin, yeah. what would I say here? And there's a story that when he wrote the script and showed it to McGowan, uh, McGowan wasn't happy with some of the technical elements. He was criticising Colin Parks's <laughs> ideas. Patrick was like, nope, nope. So he said, OK, let's find some common ground. There was some research into ultrasonic uh, penetration for the lobotomies. So let's put that in there, because Patrick McGill loved the idea of this futuristic mm. thing. So, of course, that was the, the compromise. He was paid about £1,000 at the time. Yeah, but back then that was £58 million. <laughs> <laughs> so they would get a £1,000 fee and they'd get £200 advance royalties. So, so Mark Stein was interviewed about uh, 15, 16 years later, and he said, I think it's a cracking good story with a sinister theme, which 16 years later has become even more relevant. Yes. Like most things with The Prisoner. Yeah, yeah well, the bottom is really caught on yeah. um, in the early 80s. <laughs> Parks went on to become a magistrate. Oh really? Yeah, he went to work in uh, in in the law. Well, yeah, because I did I did sort of looking at his um, his credits. Yeah. they kind of stop suddenly. Yeah, I thought, oh no, he's di- oh no, he's, no, he's, he's, he, he died he died about two thousand and eight. Yeah, yeah, uh, so he must have had a bit of a cha- change of you know, not change of mind, a change of career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet you at least three of his mates made that crack to him Probably. when he changed his job. Probably. But you've got some interesting information, haven't you, about the, the direction of this episode, as alluded to at the beginning. The, literally the direction of this episode, yes. It was um, a chap called Roy Rossotti was, uh, was uh, charged with directing this one. And according to the apocryphal recollections of many of the cast and crew, uh, he spent his first morning basically walking around the set, just doing that classic sort of fingers, <laughs> uh, looking through a screen, sort of setting up the shots, blocking and whatnot. And uh, and then after lunch, uh, everybody came back to the set and there was McGowan going, OK, action! <laughs> He's gone! <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, another one. So Angela Brown, who's in this episode as uh, number 86, uh, recalls that he was taking great care... And because he was taking great care, he was taking a great deal of time. (laughs) (laughs) And Patrick was very much, let's get on with it. But Patrick was getting more and more twitchy. 
But as we know, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him, especially money pressure and time pressures. So he, it'd be hard to tell if McGowan was twitchy. I'd imagine him just sitting <laughs> reading a book. He'd look twitchy. He's got that, his, his fantastic McGowan face muscles just yeah. kind of twitching away. There's another quote from the uh, second AD, John O'Connor. I remember Patrick coming onto the floor and saying, "The director's not very well, and he won't be back after lunch." <laughs> Will you arrange for a car for him to be taken back to London? Apparently, that was uh, McGowan wishing what? to. Well, I think, he, I think he probably learned his lesson uh, after the, the Robert Asher episode when mm. just shouting at him at the top of his voice in front of the entire cast and crew didn't go down very well. And yeah. This time, I think he gently sort of ushered him to his own car, into the car park, <laughs> had a quiet word. But uh, apparently Tony Sloman, who was a, a film librarian, found him in tears in the car park. Well, it's not what you want to hear no. halfway through your first day at work. Absolutely. Quite interesting. He was he was a second unit director on Doctor Zhivago. Mm. I mean, if you're going to pick up a few film tips, that's the set you want to be on. Yeah, but the problem with television is time. <laughs> yes, yeah. You, know, you've, you you can't afford the luxury that film allows in certain circumstances. You've just got to get in there and and turn it around. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you get two two, two goes at this, and one, then we're moving on. He had one morning to learn that mistake, yeah. and uh, I'm See, afraid it was. So what have we shot? Yeah, we've shot. Just... No, but <laughs> I've, got these, I've got these wonderful storyboards. <laughs> he actually did direct a really good episode of The Avengers called mm. The Bird Who Knew Too Much, which I th- I'm, it'd be interesting to find out whether he directed that mm. and that was the thing that got him bumped onto this show mm. or whether they grabbed him as almost like a prize to get something from the prisoner set to direct The Avengers, which yeah. came first, because it came out in 67, that one. It's the one about a parrot that can memorise kind of uh, secrets. Right. (laughs) But that's it. That's his entire directorial credit, you know. That was it. Gone. Literally. Be seeing you. Do you know what? The first thing that I thought about when I saw this Mm. um, was an episode of, I'm pretty sure it was The Twilight Zone. Yeah. And for some reason, I mean, The Twilight Zone wasn't on much, but I remember this episode so vividly as a kid. This criminal is uh, is sentenced to something. Yeah. Uh, and instead of going to jail, they, they put a, like a, a thing on his head, like an L, and it basically means that he, he's, he's free to go, but nobody is allowed to look at him mm-hmm. or talk to him or engage with him in any way, shape or form. And he thinks, oh, brilliant, what a cakewalk. That was a, an episode of the 80s Twilight Zone, yes, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Do you remember it? I do remember it. Ah. I can't remember what it was called, though. But that was the one. And, he, and of course he thinks, well, this is brilliant. And mm. then he can just literally help himself to anything from the shops. No one's going to talk to him or anything. And, and then, of course, he slowly starts to go mad. And it's just all about this idea of what happens to you when you're ostracised. There's more lobotomy in this episode than I remember. Mm. Uh, that seems to be the defining thing. But actually, to, to me, this is the really quite interesting theme of when society cuts you off. Yes. And the effect it has, even on number six, he starts, you can see him feeling a little bit sort of, oh, why aren't you, oh, why, fine, don't talk to me then. Yeah. And then it starts to, and somebody who literally, who spent the, the preceding uh, 10 or 11 episodes not wanting to be involved with anything deliberately, suddenly when he's told he can't, it's like, well, I, 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 would, I could be involved in some things. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it is quite, it's quite a fascinating theme there. Yeah. The episode starts with the, the footage shot, which you see in <laughs> It's Your Funeral. Yes. Which is a mixture of studio footage and outside the MGM studio. It's very much the camera and everything. Because it obviously goes, doesn't it? You can clearly see it's the, sh- it's the studio, but it's also the exterior stuff when it's Magoo and air yeah. punching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
It really doesn't cut together especially well. That it stuff, does, does it? it doesn't. And of course, you can see Frank Mayer's face there. But you can see where they've, they've said, right, we're going to write that whole episode of It's Your Funeral around existing footage, and they just pinch it mm. from the opening of this episode. But what's quite nice is that um, there's a, a young Michael Billington yeah. turns up, doesn't he? He does. Before his days on uh, UFO. Yes, the man who could possibly have been Bond. I think he did it. He, he had three cracks at it. Yeah. Wasn't what, he in... Uh, he was in The Spy I Love Spy Me. Love me yeah. he gets, he's the one at the, with the phenomenally hairy chest mm. at the beginning who uh, gets shot on the ski the slope. Russian, the Russian yes. agent, yeah. Who you think is triple X, but it's actually Barbara Bach. Oh, poor lad. Can you imagine three, the third, come third time's the charm? Yeah. Sorry, Michael. It's quite, you know, when they show up and they yeah. do it later in the episode when they do the, they kind of replay the scene. It's, yeah. it's a bit like Anchorman, you know, when the uh, <laughs> Channel 5, the, the Vince Vaughan, Wes Mantooth. You can imagine this. It's a classic thing when when, when heavies turn up yeah. to start circling the hero. Oh, what's all this then, eh? Yeah. You know oh. there's going to be a ruckus. Yeah, but this is pretty weird. I wonder if that's ever happened in real life. Yeah. Just, <laughs> what's this? Inventing his own gym, is he? <laughs> While another one cackles, and the, the weaker one cackles in it's the like background. It's like the Hell's Grannies in uh, Monty Python, <laughs> <Yeah>. isn't it? <laughs> Shoving oh, him out of the way. No, what was it? The bishop. Yeah. He got, he got <laughs> the a nice bishop. Bis- he got a nice business here. Something would happen to it. <laughs> One thing I want to talk about is the first thing with watching this with 21st century eyes was the committee. Yes. Because he says you, you'll answer to the committee for this. Yeah. Even though you attacked him. He's just, this is just self-defence. Yeah. Are yeah. you really going to tell them that, that one man beat two of you up? Yeah. Where's and, your pride, man? And also, if, if you don't allow yourself to get beaten up, you're a mutual. Yeah. Uh, d- d- yeah. There's a few gaping plot holes in this episode <laughs> yeah. that uh, you could drown an elephant in. But the first thing that, that came to mind was the Handforth Parish Council video that was quite <laughs> what, famous. What, you have no authority, Jackie Weaver. You have no authority, Jackie Weaver, <laughs> of 2021, because it's, it, this committee in this episode just symbolised that yeah. perfectly. Yeah. And there's something I noticed as well about their costumes. They have the top hats, which I'm assuming represents the upper echelons of the, of the village. Mm. You see the people who are wearing them, and we see them in the general as well. But also then the, like people like the Rook wearing the stripy Breton tops. Mm. They're wearing a mix. They're wearing the stripy tops, so like maybe like the common person, but they're also wearing the top hats of the upper echelons. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's a conscious decision to show that these committees are people, like common people, who think that they are of a higher status. <laughs> well, that would chime with... Uh, Hanforth Parish Council. And, well, any... Ca- well, any council. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to slag off councils Local too, governments. too much, but uh, you, you know who you are, and if anyone's ever dealt with them, <laughs> yeah. I think that's an extraordinarily good theory. And also they're all men, which is a nice contrast, because when we meet the subcommittee... They're all women, They're yes. all women. So there's, there's quite a lot going on there. I think, in that committee room as he walks down and they're all wearing almost the same clothes, just different colours, but th- this contrast of the, of the stripy top, the top hat, and then you've got this little old, little man with glasses, non-threatening. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, I think there's, the, the, he's actually making quite a valid point there. I think it was, particularly by this point, he is directing as well. Mm. I think he's, he's trying to make as many points as he possibly can, mm. you know, I think that was his MO. Like little Napoleons. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> Which any- we see in The Girl Who Was Death, don't we? Oh, exactly, yes. <laughs> you know, to be honest, in a, in a way, anybody who ever wants to actually join a committee, mm. 
I was in a, in a group once which had a committee. Oh, really? And you'd spend the first hour going through the action points of the previous week, and many of them were the same. And then you had to do things in a certain order. It, it was just tedious. They're, they're, they're almost designed to be ineffective, aren't they? Yeah. To be completely... De- the whole concept of minute-taking, mm. I find maddening. And I was also um, an admin clerk many, many years ago for a government body. Ooh. And uh, I took some minutes for some of these meetings, and oh my god! <laughs> That's where your tax money goes. We won't go there, but yeah. <laughs> Seriously, need to get the, they need a better system than a committee and a subcommittee. And let's get rid of committees. Let's get rid of committees. Yeah. And all the paragraph subsection C's and D's and all this kind of bureaucracy. Yes. Again, that's what a lot of this is what McGowan is railing against, is this needless bureaucracy. Yes. I mean, one of the reasons he left the UK, according to Frank Mayer, was because of bureaucracy around defence in his, you know, his property. Yes, you need a TPO there to get rid of that. And yeah. then I think, well, I'm signing this boundary. Oh, my God, no. Rather than deal with this, yeah. I'm going to up my family and leave the country. Again, we see like films like Brazil. Where bureaucracy becomes fatal. Yeah. Uh, and also it's in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, Douglas Adams looks at the Vogons as these bureaucrats. But do you know what I mean? To any kind of creative talent, writer, mm. artist, song, any, anything like that. Bureaucracy is just the antithesis. Mm. It's literally a big hand coming up saying, ah, ah, I'm sorry, I noticed you're not wearing the right shoes. So, shoes, I'm painting a tree. Ah, uh, do you have permission to paint this particular tree? Yeah. And oh, my God, no. It's like somebody trying to throw tar and feathers at you while you're trying to do something creative. And so, No, stop, stop, you need to... Oh, my God, it's just... No wonder so many artists can't stand stuff like this. It's as if every avenue of pleasure has been walled up and mm. wheel-clamped. But, of course, with, with local government as well, when you're giving that little bit of power yes. to, to normal people who are not, or not the establishment, mm. you know, sometimes that goes to people's heads. And, again, like with the Hanforth Parish Council video, you see that. You see that there's there's a, a guy who's taken charge, and if anybody, you know, interrupts the flow of that, yeah. he he eyes it. You have no authority here. And then the other guy, poor old Jackie Weaver, gets both barrels from. Read it and understand it. You know, he, he's really. You know, why does this matter? Why is this important? It's like the kind of people who, when they were nine years old, had clubs <laughs> that they set up themselves yeah. so that they could be chairman. Yeah. And then eventually someone, their co-chairman, who's their best mate, Steve or something, would eventually uh, have better ideas. Mm. And then somebody else, I think Steve, Steve should, uh, Steve's getting much better ideas than you. And then suddenly it all goes to, but then, but suddenly they're 58-year-old men and the, the same psychology is exactly there. Yeah. But do you notice at the end of, of that sequence, um, there's one thing, it's, it's that it's recorded. And that just reminded me of, it's like, for training purposes. This this meeting will be called, for training purposes. Do you know what? I think that is the most pernicious lie that's ever become, that nobody ever challenges it. Of course it is. This is being recorded for training and quality. It's like, these avocados are ripe and ready to eat. No, they're not. And this is not being recorded for training for quality purposes. <laughs> Sit down, Carol. We're going to show you some videos for training purposes <laughs> of some of our interactions with the villagers. <laughs> but, yeah, it's yeah, I, I totally agree with you. To round off this, this look at the committee, they applaud themselves. <laughs> Self-congratulate. And then say, right, tea. <laughs> and what I think is brilliant about that, having sat in a local government meeting 
That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Well done, everybody. Thank you very much for coming. Well done. I think we've made some real progress here. I think we've, you know... Right, let's get some tea. Indeed. <laughs> uh, I think that the rereading of last week's minutes was a great success. <laughs> uh, I look forward to next week when we'll be recording and reviewing the minutes from this meeting. <laughs> It was good to see. Was, who's the bearded guy? Michael Miller. Michael Miller. Mm. He was. He, I think he, he was from the General, wasn't he? So yes. he's like. He's actually. A, he's in a few episodes. He's a prominent villager. Yes. His beard and his. But that's. I think that's one of the first things I remember about this episode yeah. was his kind of breakdown. Yes. When he comes out to the rostrum. Yes. Which has got the speaker there, which is probably one that they used from uh, Number Six's house. And believe me, believe me. And <laughs> it just walks off. Yeah. <laughs> Calm as you like. Well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Uh, but I, I always found that quite unsettling. Mm. That was one of, you know, as a kid thinking, this, look at, oh, th- th- this is quite creepy, that. Do you not find that it's, it's quite prescient today with what's happening on social media? I people th- I are th- towing the line, and, and some people may not agree with a certain sentiment, but they are presenting that sentiment just to fit in or just, to, just so they won't be uh, attacked. Yeah, I think... Of all the episodes of The Prisoner, this is the one that can be viewed in a, in a, in a much more interesting light when you, mm. in regards to social media. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on, but this the, the shunning of somebody... Well, I think if you were 17 watching this for the first time, you're thinking, oh, wow, they had cancel culture back then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, just, that's essentially what this is. Yeah. But yeah, and it's the sort of... He's... he's yeah, I know exactly what you mean. He's kind of sh- I was shouting out a sentiment that he probably doesn't believe uh, with a look of absolute terror in his eyes and everyone's quietly applauding him, mm. but he's basically just desperately trying to fit in. Or he'd appear unmutual. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you're absolutely right. It, it, today we have social media where a lot of celebrities who obviously have the higher uh, viewership mm. or um, you know, following, and then if you have a celebrity who says, actually, I don't agree with this, yeah, and it doesn't matter what the topic is. I'm not even going to go into no. these topics because I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be held up as somebody who supports or doesn't support one thing or another. But yeah, it's you know, let's say, should we build a motorway between point A and point B? You know, <laughs> and if I say no, then Care- you're getting. Careful. At, careful. Yeah, I don't know. I've got to be careful. Yeah, very careful. Who I say, but if I say. Yes, this would be brilliant, you know, and everyone's going, yeah, this would be brilliant because it means that mothers can take their children to school in a safer road and they'll, they'll come up with a load of, 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 of um, reasons why this is a brilliant idea. But you'll always have somebody say, well, no, this isn't a good idea because it's going to cost money and it's gonna, this is going to take traffic away from this area and people are not going to be... And then they, the people will be saying, oh, well, you, you would say that because of this and you would say that and, oh, you're road-phobic or you're... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's, I don't want to use the word woke, but we've... And, and I think woke in itself has now become... has so many meanings... You know, from a, a, an early start with well-intentioned m- meaning mm. uh, of being diverse and, you know, uh, you know for uh, representation and, and, you know, maybe correcting the errors of the past. I think a lot more uh, examples are now being lumped into woke and it's become a bit of a dirty word by a certain section of people. Mm. Whereas a lot of people who feel that woke is a, a good thing... It's just, yeah, it's just people who want to... A binary. See a better world. Well, it becomes know. binary again. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, because I think the th- problem with social media is this. I mean, we had this in the past. They were called pubs. Mm. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> where, you could, where two people with, uh, who didn't necessarily agree with each other could sort of uh, chat about stuff. Yeah. And then they'd see things like, you know, body language and sort of uh, volume and see, oh, the other... Oh, he's, he's, I've obviously said the wrong... I've gone a bit far here. I've yeah. got to sort of dial back a bit. And, you know, you, I, I, I take your points. And yeah. that sort of... That, that whole huge central circle yeah. where where rational debate usually takes place and there's a meeting of minds somewhere and a, and a bit of a consensus and compromise, that's vanished. And a lot of people would unknowingly employ the Socratic method. Oh, that's an interesting point of view. I don't agree with it, but tell me why you've, you know, mm. and, and, and ask them about it rather than just attack. But the, even things, you know, things like Brexit, uh, political issues, you have a binary opinion. Yeah. And people, instead of discussing it in a civilised manner and maybe trying to understand each other and yeah. each other's reasoning are just happy to go, you're an idiot, you're a racist, you're this, you're that. And the wall just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And and it's just a binary divide. Yeah. There and I see be, this all the time. There doesn't seem to be any solution because there's there's basically, I mean, even in elections mm. where you have one side of to- that totally opposes the other side, mm. well, one, one, one will win. Mm. And they'll get their way for a bit, and then the other one will win, yeah. and, and completely get rid of the changes that the other one's <laughs> made, and then we'll live like this for four years, and, and it's just we'll go back to free for all. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had two students arguing the other day, and I said, "What's the matter?" I said, "Oh, uh, sorry, we're having a, a, a an argument." I goes, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, what's the argument?" Thinking it was something, you know, maybe a hot topic or Kirk v. Picard. No, it was. Are there more wheels or doors in the world? <laughs> that was their argument. Steady on, Chris. And that's become a social media question recently. Is it? Yeah. Why? We're old. We we miss these things. Oh God. This is why it's good talking to students because you you see a different <laughs> different view of the world. But that was their argument. I think it's doors. And then some said, Well, I think it's it's wheels. And I said, Why are you arguing about this? You're never going to be able to to get an answer. So what's the point? Mm. Because it was on social media and it's become a binary choice. You have to conform to one side or the other, like a football team. Yeah. You know, and if you're not on the right team, then you're going to get called an idiot or you're going to get attacked. Mm. And it's happened with the blue dress and the white dress. There's a binary choice. It's happened with this wheel and door ridiculous debate. There's a binary choice. Politics, binary choice. And if you don't conform, if you don't, if you don't agree with the, the main narrative... You become a little bit of a an unmutual, an unmutual. Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was trying to work out oh, more doors or <laughs> doors or wheels. I figure, you know, if, if for every door there's probably a car with four wheels. So yeah, but you've got, the house has got how many? Yeah, doors? but Lego make wheels for their. You know, does they're it, the biggest tire manufacturer it, in the world. Well, uh, yeah, of course. I think there are more Hot Lego wheels. people than uh, than. Well, yeah, that obviously it counts. See, we've fallen a, into this trap now. Oh God, listen, listen to us. Believe me, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, number six sees sees through this. Yes, with that fantastic, I love it. Have you filled in the form? Yes, I have. Just this, this <laughs> yeah. marvelous little. Thank you. I've always wanted to do that. I think he. I think he spoke for all of us when and he that, tore that page. That's his stand against bureaucracy. Yeah, doesn't matter. Yes, and it does play in this game. I'm amazed he showed up at all. Mm. You've been reported to the committee. I don't care. Instantly, this is the first time in the whole series the committee's been mentioned. <laughs> So I'm, I'm not playing your games. There is another thing that we could look at here is um, probably something that our international listeners may not be aware of is being sent to Coventry. Mm. Well, yes it's, yes, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Mm. I looked into this because I assumed it was uh, the English Civil War. I assumed it was when the uh, the Royalists were held in Coventry 
and the local people wouldn't talk to them. Is it not? Well, that's what I always thought. That's what I thought, but apparently that's only one explanation as to where the term comes from. My gran used to say that a lot. You know, people get sent to Coventry. He just wouldn't talk to them. Yeah. And that's what happens in this episode. And you mentioned the the 80s Twilight Zone Mm. episode. It also features in a Black Mirror episode of what called White Christmas, the one with John Hamm. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Where he gets blocked. Yeah. (laughs) But he actually gets physically blocked from the vision of people around him. Did you know I saw that because it was? I think it was one of the first Black Mirror episodes I saw. And I thought, oh, John Hamm's in this. I've got to watch it. And it was, it was. Uh, I've got to watch it again because I can't remember it quite well. But it's too easy, quite isn't well. it? You can block people on social media. Yeah. And people will block. I mean, if you've got a troll on there, which is arguably what Number Six is doing, yeah. and he's talking to the social group, <laughs> he's gaslighting them. Yeah. He's, well, he's trolling them. I think he's trolling them because that um, the, the social group are having almost like a Twitter conversation, aren't they? <laughs> and she gets angry at him and she says, "You're trying to disrupt my social progress. <laughs> you're, you know, you're trying to disrupt my social media yes, progress or yeah. my, you know, my enjoyment of social media almost." And then, he, and then he bounces into a, a, a kind of a youth. Uh, argument. It looks like something of a, 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 a film from San Francisco from 1968. <laughs> Suddenly these kids are there. Yeah. What the hell? Why are they there? What do they know from spying? Why have they been brought to the village? <laughs> this inter- and, and I think maybe that's just to counterpoint the, the older committee against the, the voice of youth yeah. as well and how youth approach. But interestingly, uh, the, the, the youth, far from being uh, open-minded and uh, open to all sorts of mm. interpretations, they're just as uh, reactionary. Mm. Uh, just one raise of an eyebrow for number six and they're shouting at him and sort of telling him to go away. But apathy hasn't set in. That comes with age. Uh, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when we are young, when we are, you know, 16, 17, 18, we have these ideals mm. and, and ideas and we shout at the world, and we, we question everything, and then we kind of just fall into the game and just go with it. Uh, the arrogance of youth. Yeah. There's a quite nice little continuity issue. Where oh, he, go on. Where he comes out of um, the committee building. That lovely scene where he looks at the butler. Yes, yeah. The butler <laughs> the <table>. sizes him <laughs> out. Yeah. I thought, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> I love those moments, though. Because he still bows. He's, he's out into... Um, He's on the exterior shot, and he, he he meets number 61, and he says, beautiful day, number 61. Shun. She shuns him. Mm. Now, if you look at the top of the path going towards um, Battery Square... Oh, do you see the car driving past? You see past? the car driving past, <laughs> <don't> you? <laughs> do you know what? They could have cut that. They didn't... It, it was just they held the shot for about <laughs> two long. seconds too yeah. long. It was like, oh, there's a bloody car. <laughs> well, cut that bit back. Yeah, there's an awful lot of interaction going on on that one... Path, which is clearly <laughs> immensely sort of the faked up one with the uh, statue of Hercules in the background. Well, a lot of people, this is interesting actually, because I, I was checking whether or not it was actually Hercules, and of course it is because Hercules Hall, isn't it? The yeah, next. What the hell is Hercules doing with, with the world on his shoulders? Surely, has he given Atlas a, a break for well, five minutes? Well, funnily enough, yes. Um, <laughs> in, Have in, some tea. In the Greek mythology, it was basically he had to go and pick some fruits. I think they're apples. And he basically said, here, Hercules, do you mind? He's like, what? He's like, you know, can you put the world on your shoulders while I just nip off to the orchard? 
seriously. What is it life of Brian? Yeah. Let, me, let me carry that cross for you just for two minutes. Oh, all right. And then he scarfers. <laughs> so you imagine he's there holding the, holding the earth and then a sculptor comes along and says, don't move. And he gets some preliminary sketches. <laughs> it's actually really, really very heavy. <laughs> oh, up. You've moved your head there. <laughs> but um, he gets a copy of the Tally Ho, doesn't it? He does. And did you read the, the other news articles? Oh, is it just, just gibberish? Just gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be. It would can, be. You yeah. can imagine that. But I like I'm, reading it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, anything interesting? No. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But do you know what? I think that's an, that's an unintentional piece of, of genius. Oh, yeah, the, just, the newspaper just, is actually just full of just, rubbish. As, is, as are most <laughs> newspapers. Yeah. Maybe it was intentional. I doubt it. I, I think, based as we've discussed numerous times, nobody will be able to read that. No. Um, but, but it's always, it's always it fun to overread. Yeah, <laughs> it's <This> actually works. <laughs> uh, and in th- this episode, we we start to see a lot more of the kind of aversion therapy mm. stuff that we've we've seen before in the first episode and with the charms of Big Ben and mm-hmm. generally involving people strapped to chairs watching Rover bouncing towards yes. them. That seems to. <laughs> I take one thing that it, that it it does remind me of is Clockwork Orange. Yeah, well, yeah. The, oh, what's it called? The, the, the Ludovico the, the, yeah, technique. with the eyes being solid. Mm. Yeah. Now, apparently, Malcolm McDowell scratched his his retinas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's a servant to his art. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you're going to damage your retina for one particular scene, of, yeah. I mean, talk about iconic. Yeah. And horrible. And they're putting the drops in. Yeah. But no, that's, that's pretty much exactly what this is, isn't it? And it also turns up in Lost, which we've talked about Lost many times. but Which you've seen quite a lot. Yeah, and there is a, there's basically a re- almost a replica of this scene within Lost a few times, this aversion yeah. therapy. And not just aversion therapy, but uh, carrying on the medical mm. element. We're, we're on to lobotomies here. Yes. Which, yes, we are. Um, I mean, we've seen this a little bit before with Dutton. In Dance of the Dead, I'm assuming he he had a lobotomy. It's it's a fascinating and, and deeply chilling subject. Lobotomies. Mm. I mean, they weren't they weren't quite full practice by that point, were they? But they were. Didn't I mean, Kennedy's John F. Kennedy, one of the sisters, had, un, underwent one of those, mm. or or maybe three or four. Uh, but it was it was always a very controversial. I think didn't the guy who came up with the whole concept of lobotomies basically killed people or in the end it, I don't know it was, it was all very very botched and, mm. but it was it was just a terrifying subject really it's like a body horror it's like a, something you'd see in a Cronenberg film when you actually break it down yeah someone's got to have a filling put in and wakes up and half his brain is missing yeah, that but, kind the, of... but they've taken something away from you they've taken a facet of your personality of your being yeah you know in this it's the it's anger isn't it and uh, inhibition yes is, is removed so you're lessening, you're being lessened. Yeah. It's almost like a Hannibal Lecter eating somebody part yeah. by part, but, isn't it? Yes, yeah, soul by it's soul. Quite horrific. Was that is that a polystyrene block that they zap through, or is it a, <laughs> supposed to be an actual brick? I think that's just to show the reality of the laser. Yeah. You know that it's, it's uh, quite a big hole. Yeah. I know they're supposed to be like sort of a mic- microsurgery, but that would actually just. Oh my God! Sorry, sorry. I, I should have really closed the aperture there. Sorry, he's uh, <laughs> put a hole the size of a fifty pence piece in his yeah. brain. Oh, sorry. I once worked with a laser operator, and he, oh, had, yeah. a, he had an eye missing, <laughs> and he basically said, "Yes." And before you ask, yes, I did lose it thanks to a laser. Okay. Was, he look, was he looking down the wrong end, wrong end of the scope one day? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like to, to ask. Um, we, we've got to talk about uh, number eighty-six, Angela Brown. Yeah. Now, do you know the famous connection between her and Jerry Anderson? No. Oh, oh, like 
Can I guess? Go on. Can I guess? Is she the inspiration for Lady Penelope? No. Oh. Her husband was Francis Matthews. Ah. Uh, who's the voice yeah. of Captain Scarlet. One of Scarlet. my favourite actors, Francis Matthews. Ah. <laughs> uh, he was basically the ITC Cary Grant, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because um, despite the whole parallels with It's Your Funeral, yeah. where the, uh, right, the, the director's been hoofed out. Yeah. In complete contrast to that episode and this one, everyone seems to be having an absolute whale of a time. Yeah. And uh, in contrast to the Annette Andre mm. uh, debacle, he got on with Angela Brown like a house on fire, apparently. Yeah. She was absolutely made up. She has nothing. Reading the interview, and she, I think, there were pages of interviews with her. She must have yeah. been telling anybody who'd listen. <laughs> I had a whale of a time. <laughs> At one point, I asked, he said, Do you need do you know anything? And I said, Well, a glass of champers would be nice. And then she went home to the dressing room and there was. There was a bottle of champagne there. I don't know whether he was making it. And John Sharp was saying this was, I had a lovely time making this. So uh, for all all kind of uh, the parallels. Was this this shot, uh, you'll know about this, the production number. Was this shot after It's Your Funeral? This was shot directly after It's Your Funeral. Yeah, so it it was a complete sort of... uh, Yeah, that's interesting in terms of how Mark Eden and and Andre and Darren Nesbitt kind of reported McGowan's... Uh, behavior, but then again, I suppose if you know, you, we see that with Rory Rosotti. Oh yeah, but as soon yeah. as that's as soon as that's gone and he's taken control, yeah, uh, everyone's having a delightful time. Yeah. Nobody was having a delightful time on the last one. No. Whereas this is kind of maybe. Well, listen, I've got control now. That's interesting, actually. That's a good point. Well, maybe it was the lack of control. Yeah, what well, right. causing the the issue for him? Yeah, maybe I've I've got it now. I can let off a little bit of steam. I can get on really well with this actress who's uh, who's very good in this, isn't she? <laughs> yes. There's, an, there's an odd little moment in this where he basically goes off on his own and watches some geese. Do you know what? I've always loved that shot. Mm. Is it hackneyed? Is it a bit of a... I think it is a little bit, isn't it? It's. I, I know they're trying to emphasise that he's on his own and it's the solitude, isn't it? Well, it's not but, just that, but the geese... I was Because there's a look on his face. He's just, he kind of... His, his features soften a little mm. bit and he, he looks a little bit... Vulnerable, mm. and I always thought he's just looking at the geese flying away. I think I can't do that. Mm. The, those geese could fly anywhere, and I'm trapped here. I always see from a freedom perspective as well. Yeah. I always thought that's what that shot was. Yeah, uh, and it's just a just like five seconds of just a lovely, just a, a universal moment yeah. where it's actually you that's know, interesting because because yeah, I, I took that as, as just emphasising his solitude that he's on his own now. Oh I, no, I always thought it was a sort of. Ah, but that's quite nice. Is that you don't have to. And you can you can take your own. No, no, Chris, I'm right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> binary, binary. <laughs> one one thing I, I found a little bit um, worrying, and it's something that has become prescient in recent years, is that they all all the villagers sit down to watch the procedure. Yeah, what for? And they watch it on a colour television. As well. ah. And it's viewed, it's being recorded for people to watch. What I didn't understand about that scene, apart from the weirdness of it all, is why are they watching it? Because it's mm. actually fake. But they don't know it's fake. Well, they will do if they watch it. Why? Because they'll, they'll find out that he hasn't, he's not having a lobotomy. Yeah, but at that point they don't know. Yeah, but they're gonna, we, we don't see them watching the whole thing, but mm. surely if they're actually watching the whole procedure... Is it, is, the opera, is it being staged for their benefit? I think it's being staged for everybody's benefit. It's like plausible deniability, isn't it? Ah, because I mean, obviously it cuts... You don't see the operation, no. but but obviously 
it's but that you, you've actually, I think, inadvertently strayed into something that's quite interesting about what do you mean, this. Inadvertently, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've researched this thoroughly. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> In that, it's it's almost like they're producing this um, as a kind of pacification for the villagers. Ah. Because this mob mentality's kicked in. It's like Shades of the Wicker Man, isn't it, as he's being yes. led in that procession. <laughs> but it's like, you know, unmutual, unmutual, unmutual. And then they get him in the procedure and they're showing the villagers to pacify them. Look, we're going to do it. And they all sit down, they watch it. And I think it is, it's, it's almost like creating fake content <laughs> to kind of say, yes, we've done it. We, yes, we've I mean, done what you asked. You have. And don't forget, this could happen to you as well if you are a mutual, just in case you're thinking of uh, becoming a mutual. But why would you serve someone being lobotomised on television? That's quite horrific. I mean, they, I mean, it goes back to people being hung, you know, when they used to sell tickets to public hangings and, and things like that in the courtyard and the, the guillotine and well, the yes. French Revolution. And well, you've seen the Jeremy Carl show. The, oh, the Jeremy Carl show. Um, <laughs> but in 2002, Channel 4 broadcast a live autopsy. Oh yes, God, and it was um, it was uh, produced by Gunter Van Hergens, oh, the guy who, uh, yeah, the, the bodyworks guy who's uh, in uh, Casino Royale. It's, yeah, it's that scene where they're in the bodyworks uh, <laughs> exhibition. Absolutely yeah. I read one. I was on a train once, and I was reading this magazine. You know, at the end, it was like a Guardian uh, thing where they sort of, uh, what are your favourite memories? Uh, <laughs> what are you most afraid of? Or, but, uh, mm. and they were interviewing that guy, yeah. and every single thing that they asked him, sort of, uh, uh, what's your, what's your, what are your proudest moments? I'm most proud of inventing plastination. <laughs> and, oh right. Uh, <laughs> what's your deepest regret? The possibility that I might not have invented plastination. What are your favourite memories of childhood? I remember most vividly coming up with the idea of plastination. And every single thing he said. What's your favourite pop group? Bananarama, who I hope one day to be involved in my marvellous plastination. <laughs> it's just everything was brought round to plastination. Yeah, he's really overselling that, isn't That's he? That's like, God, man. <laughs> There's another, another bit of technical prescience here. Is that in the surgery they're wearing wireless headsets? I no, I didn't spot that. Which God, is something you, that we got you good. <laughs> it's something that we just take for granted now. Yeah, a lot of headsets are used are just Bluetooth, and they just you just charge them like AirPods or, or Beats headphones. You just put them on. That didn't exist back in 1967. It wasn't a thing. You would have that long trail cord that would be plugged into a jack socket. Where we're going, we don't need cords. McGoon's doing a lot of acting with his eyes in this scene, isn't he? Because he's the, yeah, yeah, but it, it, he doesn't. In, he, as a director, he doesn't cut them those scenes particularly well. There, no. there are close-ups where he looks like he's he looks like he's in the most pain. He, yeah. possibly, he looks like he's passing kidney stones. <laughs> and there's a strange thing with his head brace when mm. you go to a close-up; it's actually nowhere near his head. Mm. And then in the other shots, it's kind of it's right. It's ramped up, isn't it? Yeah, it's an odd <laughs> bit of cutting there. But uh, no, McGowan does in, in occasional episodes in the prisoner. He just goes full mad. Yeah, uh, and this is one. Yeah. It just his eyeballs seem to be sort of edging their way out of the sockets. Yeah. and straining that much. Paul Marion Pottery. Yeah, gets another, gets <laughs> gets another little plug. Get a little plug there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. That's a, again one of the things I remember about this episode. Mm. From it's one of those episodes I didn't really rewatch a lot. Yeah, I think you know. I think this may be the only one I didn't. Tape, yeah, or I or, or my I, I may have taped over it by accident, yeah, uh, to my horror. But the one thing I do remember is the tea making process. Whenever I make loose leaf tea, yeah, uh, which is happening far more frequently these days as I slowly turn into 
Alan Bennett's spitting image puppet. I always use the McGowan method. Yeah. One for me, one for thee, yeah. one for luck, one for the pot. <laughs> oh no, one for the pot and one for luck. Yeah, just, you have to warm it. You have to warm the pot first. Yeah. The ceremony, and I, I, I always do. Even in my head, I'm just kind of saying it to myself, yeah. and it, it always works. You always get a good, uh, yeah, four scoops. Yeah, is is, is a proper cup of tea. <laughs> What's interesting about this scene is that Roger Parks originally put in a uh, romantic moment, a little bit of uh, well, kissing. Well, her, her whole it. character was mm. different. Apparently her whole character was uh, coming in, probably eyes locked, yeah. and they start flirting from the, from the get-go. Yeah. And then now yeah. rewrite that. And so immediately she comes in. So the moment she comes in, she's incredibly officious. And uh, I have been cured now. And uh, is, this is the man. But if, you know, if, if number six had a village tender... He'd definitely be swiping right. Is that good? So I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, she's she's a doctor, she's intelligent, she's beautiful. I think she's got a lot of characteristics that number six, I think, would find attractive. And I, I think see, Parks actually, probably realised that and thought, oh, yeah. Well, actually, weirdly, it's her kind of professional tone mm. that is a result of her not being flirty would mm. probably make her more attractive to him in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah I quite like the fact you're not frivolous. All, I mean, if you look at all these other women who've taken an interest, like Rosa the Critchley's mm. character, yeah. one, you know, they're, they're all very either naive or a little bit ditzy in some circumstances, or maybe he sees them as beneath his kind of class, maybe, you know, with the maids. Mm. I'm only speculating. But, of course, McGowan would have vetoed that straight, and he did. He just said, nope, yeah. <laughs> not having this uh, this intimacy. If it was played by, if number six was played by somebody else, you know, that scene would have, would have made sense because there is a little bit of a frisson of uh, something there. Once she gets drugged. Yeah. Yes. And I love that line, I'm higher than number two. I did think that. I did Because we're talking about a time when, you know, the doors had to not say higher yeah. on, uh, on the Ed Sullivan Ed show. Ed Sullivan, yeah. Like I, I was, I heard and they that did thought. anyway. Oh, well, yes, exactly. <laughs> Though nowhere near as uh, brazenly as they did yeah. in the film. There's a, there's a lovely little in-joke here. I think it's an in-joke, is where she's talking about the use of mitol. I thought that. It's, there, there is a thing called nitol, isn't it? There's nitol. That you yeah. kind of the, uh, neck but, if you can't sleep. But mitol is, um, is a chemical that's used in film development. So it's, it's like processing film. Ah, because I thought it was like, which is the, was it, yeah, last week's episode, uh, there was a sort of slightly fudged name for a drug yes, yeah. uh, that you picked up on. I thought they were just doing it. It was like it becomes standard now. But I, I think mitol is a, you know, there's no record of any chemical for, um, you know, medicinal treatment called mitol. Mm. But mitol was used as a uh, chemical in the process of film development. So maybe it's a little in-joke, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> not a no wink kind of thing. There's, we talked about a clockwork orange before with the aversion therapy. Yeah. There's another little um, moment in this, which also reminds me of clockwork orange, is when after the treatment, number six goes... It's, yeah, it's like when Warren Clark... Shows up and he's a yeah, copper and fill, copper and, yeah, yeah, starts filling him in. You know, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, and Alex in, in a Clockwork Orange can't fight back because he's had the Ludovico yes. treatment, so Whereas he's now it, averse it, to violence. Yeah, but by contrast, Number Six discovers that he's Number Six again mm. by filling him, filling yes. in Michael Billington. So there are shades there, but of course, Clockwork Orange was written before um, this episode was written. The trouble is with a Clockwork Orange, as you probably know, it's written in Nadsat. Yeah. The fictional language. So uh, a lot of people probably wouldn't have bothered 
trying to read it. Have you ever tried to read the Clockwork Orange? You have to go to the glossary at the um, back to understand half of the stuff that's going on. I, I, I think I, I think I read the first half and then pretended to read the second half when I was about eighteen <laughs> at my most. So I'm trying to read it so that everyone else on the train could see that I was, I was reading, reading it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, no, I, yeah, gave, but, I gave up with the novel um, because it's it, it's not in, it's not an enjoyable read because you have to keep and t- certain words. Yeah, I know what this means. You know, I know what that means. I know what that means now. But oh, okay, I don't know what that means. I've got to keep going to the back to the glossary. Yeah. to find out what this word means. So it staggers the flow of your reading enjoyment. But it was written before this episode. And I wonder if this ad actually has uh, an effect on Roger Parks. I wonder if he had read it. I, I, do you know what? I just assumed that it had because mm. it's, it's literally... These, these, are, these are plot points taken from one source and re- replicated in another. Yeah. Uh, I'm not making a formal accusation. No. Just a <laughs> bit, of, bit of whimsy. It was written in 1961. You know, and this episode was produced in uh, 67, wasn't it? So, of course, it would have been in the public conscience, a part of the zeitgeist yeah. of the time. Didn't uh, Kubrick want to have Jagger play? No. Is no. That, the, is, that, is that a myth? There was a petition. Oh, to sent, get him. Yeah, yeah, to get him to play uh, uh, Alex. Yes. But no, he went with McDowell. And quite rightly so. And rightly so, yeah. having seen Ned Kelly. But it's interesting, isn't it, that there are these comparisons between A Clockwork Orange and A Change of Mind. Well, yeah, it's it's mainly because of that second. Hello, what's this then? You know, and it's it's precise. It's I mean, the 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 parallels aren't just kind of. uh, Well, they're a little bit similar. Mm, They're they're more than just similar. There's a lovely um, aphorism used by number six. Oh, the butcher. Yeah, sharpest knife has the warmest heart. (laughs) (laughs) Which a lot of people think was written for the series. But apparently, according to Roger Parks, it was a Chinese proverb that he's just adapted a little bit. I thought, because the, this number two's quite fond of his little aphorisms, isn't mm. it? What's the one at the beginning when he's nibbling on the biscuit? Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, I think he says one to, again, sat there without a buy or leave yeah. in, in his house when number six walks yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, looking very comfortable. But he comes in, it was something about being a, the, the... Oh, yeah, that's right. Ah, what was it? Um, the slowest mule is closest to the whip. Yes. Is that the right? I think so. If memory serves. And there's another one he says. Which apparently he made up, Roger Parks made up. And about ploughing a furrow. Yeah. Needs oh no one or something like that. Yeah. All, all of which has a sort of um, the connotations of, of the villagers as animals. Yeah. I think there's about two or three, there's quite a few sayings and. and uh, Agricultural. Kind of, yeah. Uh, it, which is interesting considering Roger Parks is. Well, yeah. He started off in agriculture. But also, yeah, you're quite right. I think maybe that's intentional. Is these little these aphorisms are, are agricultural? Well, yeah, in their in their origin. Uh, but he's likening, like you say, the villagers to the sheep, the cows. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's this scene at the, at the end with the uh, the butcher with the uh, sharpest mm-hmm. knife. I think possibly this might be the reason, the entire reason why this episode is really not very well uh, regarded. Mm-hmm. I think the ending is unbelievably weak. I mean, it's comedically weak in terms of the deployment of possibly the worst stunt doubling uh, in the history. (laughs) They've got John Sharp, bless him. There there he is. And and all of the, obviously, he didn't go to Port Merion. So they've got these shots from the uh, the, the back with Frank Maher there. And um, they they got this guy. (laughs) He's about sort of 5'10, full head of hair, nice and thin, 
you didn't even try. And then there's the bit where the, the villagers are following up through the streets of Point Mary and they just got this is the, the first adult they could find. Could you just put this blazer on and run up towards the Green Dome? That was appalling. It's just a weak ending. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean for a start, you've got the, the, the hoariest cliche of all. Mm. I'm now going to hypnotise you with my watch. Yes. You're going to hypnotise her with a watch? Are you kidding me? Which apparently, I, th- I think, from looking at it, was a vintage Tissot PR five sixteen. It was, yeah. I think I, I, took, I stepped back from that scene to just admire the watch. Yeah. It's, it's lovely. It, it it's, is, it's, it? a, it's a beaut. But literally, I'm going to I'm going to wave this in front of you yeah. for five seconds, and you're going to be in my. What is this? A cartoon? Yeah. That's a, you, you're resorting to this <laughs> in an, in a in an extremely unconvincing garden setting. Yeah. <laughs> full of plastic flowers. You're resorting to this. And it's like, well, hang on. So what's what's the big twist at the end? He gets her to say, you're a mutual to number yeah. two. And the villagers suddenly turn. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. To become a, a mutual, you have to go through a process of the committee. Yeah. They then vote you. And th- th- it's, uh, it's, it's ignoring its own internal logic. Yeah. And this is number two. He's the, why doesn't number two just go, uh, orange alert, everybody? I'm not a mutual. I'll, Rover? I mean, he's in charge. He could just, he could nail these people. This is supposed to be another one of these endings where number six wins, yeah, even though yeah, he doesn't yeah. escape. It, it could be a, an, one of the one of the very best, but I think there's something about the execution of it. Yeah. There's something about the the sort of ersatzness of the of the studio something that cheapens it all. Mm. There's something that the writing just isn't pin sharp. Um, it's a sort of first draft that needed to to, to go away and be worked on properly. Yeah. Who's the two? John Sharp. Quite a familiar face. He was in, again, going back to the Avengers, he was in an episode called Murdersville, where uh, it's a little town where you can bring people to shoot them and nobody will care because they're being paid off, and he's the landlord. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's one of those kind of very familiar... He was in Corrie. He wasn't in that many episodes of Coronation Street, though. No. Um, yeah, 1968. He was only in about five episodes. He was a, he's a slightly frustrating number two. Yeah. He, he, he kind of overdoes it a little bit. There's that kind of... The, he does it twice, the sort of... Tapping of the head. What does he say? Um, there's a sort of the, the, a little bit of shtick where he sort of taps the head when he's talking to the uh, supervisor. There is something, of course, we forgot to mention mm. uh, that this is the first time that Number Six meets the supervisor. Yes. There's a bit when he walks into the uh, into Number Two's office and that and it, there's a sort of little look. Yeah. And it's do you know what it weirdly reminded me of is the bit in Staying Alive, the yeah. Saturday Night Fever sequel. Directed by Stallone, yeah, and Travolta is walking down the street and bumps into Stallone yeah. in a massive fur coat and turns around and looks at him, and just briefly flees. There's a sort of oh, it's you. <laughs> but there's a, I mean, he's obviously he's quite misogynist, and he says, "Stupid woman and females." Yeah, yeah. He's your classic uh, misogynist, sexist bully, isn't he? Well, he's he's, he's kind of nasty little man. Yeah, he's not. Uh, there's no redeeming. He's not charming. I don't particularly find him one of the stronger number twos. No, and I, I can't quite put my finger on what it is. It's he's, he's obviously a, a a decent actor. Oh God, yeah. Um, but there's I don't know. There's that scene where he's under his uh, number six under, is under the uh, the rug, mm. and uh, again with his omnipotence. I think because eighty six has just left, and then immediately he seems to be in the room. Of, Anyway, and he kind of leans... There's a quite a nicely framed shot where he's leaning over him, like Bella Lugosi sort of leaning yeah. over one of his victims. We'll have a little chat. Yeah, let's have a little chat. And the way he sort of nibbles on a biscuit as well, mm. is, this is a bit of a prop. I, see, I, don't, I, I think for me, when you've had people like um, Cargill yeah. and, and Kern and Wingard, and, you know, they have a certain gravitas 
that I don't think this number two has. No. And maybe that's intentional. Maybe they wanted to lessen his his, his impact, you know, but I, I don't know. I, of the number twos, I wouldn't say he's one that stands out. And that's no disrespect to John Sharp. No. I think it's just the way maybe the character's written. Is that you, you know, I mean, we dislike a lot of number twos anyway, but this one particularly. Yeah, this one is innately dislikable about yeah. him. He's, he's kind of... He's like, he's like that racist uncle. Yeah, or just that sort of teacher who always spoke to you in that sort of horrible little way. He's just belittling you, but he never raised his voice. And uh, it's just there's something quite horribly creepy about him. Yeah. Uh, he was in Top Secret. He was, wasn't he? yeah, as the Maitre D. The Maitre D. This this requires a tie. If you like, I can provide you with one. <laughs> his, I thought, ah, it's number two from Change Your Mind. His last role was Lovejoy. Ah, oh, in nineteen ninety one. Love Lovejoy. But uh, as far as films go, um, yeah, he, he was. He worked with Kubrick on Barry yeah. Barry Lyndon. Oh, did he? Yes, he played uh, Doolin. Yeah, you might have seen him in films like uh, Jabberwocky. Ah, yes. He played the sergeant at the gate. Uh, or Spring and Port Wine, in which he played a bowler. Mm. And I love this. Um, our, our previous episode was It's Your Funeral. He was actually in a film called That's Your Funeral. There was a lovely... I, I've got to read this out, because there was a lovely... Mm. I can imagine just reading in John Sharp's voice. Though He was a Yorkshireman, so he probably yeah. would have... Well, there was a great line here uh, from, <laughs> from his bios. He said, I've also had... Very offbeat parts, uh, like the man who was eaten by his own lawnmower in The Liars. <laughs> I've got now that I want to see. Yeah. Scores. Scores. Yeah. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Because I, 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 as discussed, I think this is it's full of intriguing, fascinating, potentially uh, extraordinary ideas, mm. uh, and it could be. It could have been one of the key prisoner episodes. Yeah, yeah. But I think in the execution was just flawed. It it it, it just doesn't work very mm. well. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But it shouldn't have been okay. It should have been brilliant. And I think I, I no. I, I mean, I, I've I've given much better episodes four. So uh, by my own logic, it's got to be a three. It's an episode I remember that didn't grab me when I first saw it. Mm. Um, probably one I haven't really revisited that much. It's probably the third time I've seen this episode. Yeah. Uh, but I watched it twice. I watched it um, with Roger Park's uh, vo- um, commentary, which ah. is quite interesting, which is on the Blu-ray set. Yeah, it's... I thought, like with Harmony, after having watched Harmony, I had a new appreciation for it. Mm. Um, and with the benefit of age, I think this one, I still have the same opinion. It doesn't grab me. It's one I would happily skip. Uh, and for that reason... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm going to give this a two. A tw- oh, wow. This okay. is probably my least favourite episode. But I, I You heard pre- it here first, folks. I do appreciate... The, I, I do appreciate, you know, the idea. I, I don't think it was realised very well, personally. Um I think there's a lot wrong with this. And it doesn't really grab me as a... I th- do you know what? I think the basic plot doesn't even hold up. How do you fake a, a lobotomy? E- even after the first dose when they give mm. him, he, when he's looking at uh, her making the tea, he's obviously... They didn't give him enough. Yeah. I mean, the whole plot doesn't hinge on the fact that they, they didn't dose him up right the first time. To be fair to Roger Parks, you know, it wasn't just a case of, there's my draft, go and make it. 
Mm. You know, you had people who were saying, I don't want this, get rid of that, change this. You know, David Tomlin had a hand in this. Mm. So did McGowan. And, you know, he, as, as you know, you know, he's got this, he's brought this child into the world. Yeah. And then suddenly people are going, you know, they should be wearing a pink top and they need to cut their hair and they need to that. And, you know, this writer's going, whoa, yeah. just, you know, this is, this <laughs> I, is I just thought I... an expression of my, of my art, you know, and you're changing it for budgetary constraints or changing it for yeah, this reason. Yeah, my, but my, my brother's given that the thumbs up. He's an actual bona fide psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is the same. I think that is one of the same graces, thanks to Colin Parks and his input. You know, yes. It's crazy, quite the an interesting idea. It is, yeah. it is. And it's, it's, all, it's all the more frustrating for kind of seeing underneath it all the episode it could have been. Yeah. I do, I do as much as I like John Sharp, I don't think he is, in my opinion, the right actor for this number two. Yeah. I think, you know, with, with the, the, you know, the, the uh, ITC book of actors. <laughs> that it could have had. Imagine Fulton Mackay. Yeah, play number two. Christopher, why don't they ever ask Christopher Lee? Cushing would have been an amazing Co- number two. Oh, wouldn't he though? Yeah, the what the stuff he would have done with that biscuit. He was such a good props guy. <laughs> Charming. <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> you're, you're, you're far too trusting. But there's a malevolence there, and it's under underplayed, isn't it? Yeah, don't look down, Carrie. I'm wearing pink slippers. Yes, yes, he was wearing <laughs> slippers, wasn't he, on the on the set? He didn't like the boots, did he? <laughs> But yeah, that's just just my take, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that this is one of their favourite episodes. And do you reckon there are? No. Free for All podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton, and special thanks to Jemima Duncar for the artwork. Please see, see you. you. You can find us on Twitter at Free For All Pod or on Facebook at Podcast Free For All.